0: Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast, my name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about supraventricular tachycardia and you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com SVT or in the cardiology section of the second edition of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Supraventricular tachycardia or SVT occurs when abnormal electrical signals come from above the ventricles, causing a fast heart rate. Supra refers to above, and tachycardia is a fast heart rate. Let's talk about the pathophysiology. Normally, the electrical signals of the heart start in the sinoatrial node. The sinoatrial node is the heart's natural pacemaker, dictating when the heart beats. It's located at the junction between the superior vena cava and the right atrium. The electrical signal generated by the sinoatrial node travels through the right and left atrium causing the atria to contract, then it travels through the atrioventricular node or AV node which is the pathway between the upper part of the heart, the atria, and the lower part of the heart, the ventricles. It travels through the atrioventricular node down to the ventricles where it causes the ventricles to contract. The electrical signal in the heart can only go in one direction, from the atria to the ventricles. Normally it cannot travel from the ventricles back up into the atria. Supraventricular tachycardia is caused by the electrical signal re-entering the atria from the ventricles the electrical signal finds a way from the ventricles back to the atria. Once the signal is back in the atria, it again travels through the atrioventricular node back to the ventricles causing another ventricular contraction. This creates a self-perpetuating electrical loop without an endpoint where the signal is going from the atria to the ventricles back to the atria back to the ventricles and so on and this results in a narrow complex tachycardia. It's described as narrow complex because the QRS complex has a duration of less than 0.12 seconds. Paroxysmal supraventricular tachycardia describes a situation where the SVT reoccurs and remits in the same patient over time, meaning normally they're in sinus rhythm with episodes or periods of SVT. Let's talk in more detail about narrow complex tachycardia. Narrow complex tachycardia is a fast heart rate with a QRS complex duration of less than 0.12 seconds. On a standard 25 mm per second ECG, 0.12 seconds equals 3 small squares. Therefore, the QRS complex will fit within 3 small squares in supraventricular tachycardia. On an ECG, SVT looks like a QRS complex immediately followed by a T wave, then a QRS complex, then a T wave, and so on. There are four main differentials of a narrow complex tachycardia, and we're going to talk about the ECG features that will help you differentiate these. These differentials are sinus tachycardia, supraventricular tachycardia, atrial fibrillation, And atrial flutter. Sinus tachycardia will take the normal P wave, QRS complex, and T wave pattern that you find in sinus rhythm. Sinus tachycardia is not an arrhythmia and it usually is the response to an underlying cause, for example, sepsis or pain. Atrial fibrillation can be identified on an ECG by the absence of P waves. It usually causes a narrow QRS complex tachycardia, meaning a fast heart rate with narrow QRS complexes and it causes an irregularly irregular ventricular rhythm as opposed to SVT which causes a regular rhythm. In atrial flutter, the atrial rate is usually around 300 beats per minute and it gives a sore tooth appearance on the ECG. This means the baseline of the ECG looks like the cutting edge of a handsaw. A QRS complex occurs at regular intervals depending on how often there's conduction from the atria down to the ventricles. This often results in two atrial contractions for every single ventricular contraction giving a ventricular rate of 150 beats per minute. Supraventricular tachycardia on an ECG looks like a QRS complex immediately followed by a T wave, then a QRS complex, then a T wave and so on. There are P waves but they're often buried in the T waves so you can't see them. You can differentiate it from atrial fibrillation by the regular rhythm and from atrial flutter by the absence of the sawtooth pattern. It can be tricky to distinguish SVT from sinus tachycardia. SVT has an abrupt onset and a very regular pattern without variability. Sinus tachycardia has a more gradual onset and more variability in the rate. The history is also important where sinus tachycardia usually has an explanation, for example pain or fever, while SVT can appear at rest with no apparent cause. Sometimes it can be difficult to distinguish between the different causes so it's always worth getting help from an experienced person when in doubt. A tom tip for you, SVT can also cause a broad complex tachycardia, meaning wide QRS complexes, if the patient also has a bundle branch block. Therefore consider SVT with bundle branch block as a differential in a patient with a tachycardia with wide QRS complexes. The most important thing to remember for now is that SVT causes a narrow complex tachycardia. Let's talk about the types. There are three main types of SVT based on the source of the abnormal electrical signal atrioventricular nodal reentrant tachycardia. Is where the reentrant point is back through the atrioventricular node, meaning that signals travel from the ventricles through the atrioventricular node back into the atria. And this is the most common type of SVT. Atrioventricular reentrant tachycardia is where the re-entry point is through an accessory pathway. This is an additional electrical pathway somewhere between the atria and the ventricles that lets electricity back through from the ventricles to the atria. Having an extra electrical pathway connecting the atria and the ventricles is called Wolff-Parkinson-White syndrome and we're going to talk about that in more detail shortly. Atrial tachycardia is where the electrical signal originates in the atria somewhere other than the sinoatrial node. This is not caused by a signal re-entering from the ventricles but from abnormally generated electrical activity in the atria. Next let's talk in more detail about Wolff-Parkinson-White syndrome. Wolff-Parkinson-White syndrome is caused by an extra electrical pathway that connects the atria and the ventricles. It's also called pre-excitation syndrome. Normally only the atrioventricular or AV node Connects the atria and the ventricles. The extra pathway in Wolf Parkinson White syndrome may be called the bundle of Kent. The additional pathway allows electrical activity to pass between the atria and the ventricles bypassing the atrioventricular node. This extra electrical pathway might not cause any symptoms or it might cause episodes of supraventricular tachycardia. The ECG changes in Wolff-Parkinson-White syndrome are a short PR interval of less than 0.12 seconds, a wide QRS complex of greater than 0.12 seconds, and a delta wave. The delta wave appears as a slurred upstroke in the QRS complex. And it's caused by the electrical activity prematurely entering the ventricles through the accessory pathway. The definitive treatment for Wolf Parkinson White syndrome is radiofrequency ablation of the accessory pathway. In someone with a combination of atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter and Wolf Parkinson White syndrome, there's a risk that the chaotic atrial activity can pass through the accessory pathway into the ventricles causing a polymorphic wide-complex tachycardia, which is a life-threatening medical emergency. The heart rate can get above 200 or even 300 beats per minute and ventricular fibrillation and cardiac arrest can follow. Most anti medications, for example beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, digoxin and adenosine, increase the risk of this polymorphic wide-complex tachycardia by reducing conduction through the AV node and promoting conduction through the accessory pathway. Therefore, these medications are contraindicated in patients with Wolff-Parkinson-White syndrome that develop atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter. Let's talk about the acute management of SVT. The management here summarises the Resuscitation Council UK guidelines from 2021 to help with your exam preparation. Get experienced senior support and refer to local and national guidelines when you're managing patients. Patients with SVT should have continuous ECG monitoring during management. Management of supraventricular tachycardia in patients without life-threatening features involves a stepwise approach, trying each step in turn to see whether it works before moving on. Step 1 is vagal manoeuvres, step 2 is adenosine, step 3 is verapamil or a beta blocker and step 4 is synchronized DC cardioversion. We're going to talk about all of these options in more detail. Patients with life-threatening features such as loss of consciousness or syncope, heart muscle ischemia, for example chest pain, shock or severe heart failure are treated with synchronized DC cardioversion under sedation or a general anesthetic. Intravenous amiodarone is added if the DC shocks are unsuccessful. Patients with Wolff-Parkinson-White syndrome or pre-excitation syndrome with possible atrial arrhythmias, for example atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter should not have adenosine, verapamil or a beta blocker as these block the atrioventricular node promoting conduction of the atrial rhythm through the accessory pathway to the ventricles. Using these medications in patients with Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome with atrial arrhythmias can potentially lead to life-threatening ventricular rhythms. Sometimes it can be difficult to distinguish this scenario from SVT, so the involvement of experienced seniors is essential. In this scenario, the usual management is with procainamide, which does not block the AV node conduction, Or with electrical cardioversion if the patient is unstable. So let's talk in more detail about vagal maneuvers. Vagal maneuvers stimulate the vagus nerve increasing the activity in the parasympathetic nervous system. This can slow the conduction of electrical activity in the heart terminating an episode of supraventricular tachycardia. Valsalva manoeuvres involve increasing the intrathoracic pressure and this can be achieved by having the patient blow hard against resistance, for example blowing into a 10 milliliter syringe for 10-15 to 15 seconds. Carotid sinus massage involves stimulating the baroreceptors in the carotid sinus by massaging that area on one side of the neck, not on both sides at the same time. Carotid sinus massage is avoided in patients with carotid artery stenosis. For example, if they have a carotid bruit on auscultation or they've had a previous TIA or stroke. The diving reflex involves briefly submerging the patient's face in cold water. Next, let's talk in more detail about adenosine. Adenosine works by slowing cardiac conduction primarily through the atrioventricular node. It interrupts the AV node or the accessory pathway during SVT and resets it back to sinus rhythm. The half-life of adenosine is less than 10 seconds, meaning it's very quickly metabolized and then it stops having an effect. It needs to be given as a rapid bolus to ensure it reaches the heart with enough impact to interrupt the pathway for a short period. It will often cause a brief period of asystole where the heart stops beating or bradycardia which can be scary for both the patient and the doctor. However it's very quickly metabolized and they should return to sinus rhythm. Adenosine is avoided in patients with asthma, COPD, heart failure, heart block, severe hypotension or potential atrial arrhythmias in patients with underlying Wolf parkinson white syndrome. Adenosine must be given as a rapid intravenous bolus into a large proximal cannula, for example a grey cannula in the antecubital fossa or the inner elbow. The patient should be warned about a scary feeling of dying or impending doom when it's first injected and this quickly passes. Three doses are attempted until sinus rhythm returns, initially 6mg, then 12mg, then 18mg. Next let's talk about synchronized DC cardioversion. Synchronized DC, which stands for direct current, cardioversion involves an electrical shock applied to the heart to restore normal sinus rhythm. A defibrillator machine monitors the electrical signals in the heart particularly identifying the R waves and then an electrical shock is synchronized with a ventricular contraction occurring at the R wave on an ECG. If successful the shock will be followed by sinus rhythm Synchronized cardioversion is used in patients who have a pulse to avoid shocking the patient during a T-wave. Delivering a shock during a T-wave can result in ventricular fibrillation and subsequently cardiac arrest. During a cardiac arrest scenario with pulseless ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation where the patient does not have organized electrical activity or a pulse there's no need for the shock to be synchronized. A shock can be applied at any time. Next let's talk about the management of paroxysmal supraventricular tachycardia. Patients with recurrent episodes of SVT can be treated to prevent further episodes from occurring. and The options are long-term medications, for example beta blockers, calcium channel blockers or amiodarone, or radiofrequency ablation. So finally, let's talk in more detail about radiofrequency ablation. Catheter ablation is performed in a catheter laboratory, often called a cath lab. The patient will have sedation or a general anesthetic, and a catheter is inserted into a femoral vein and then fed through the venous system under x-ray guidance up to the heart. Once in the heart, the catheter tip is placed against different areas to test the electrical signals in that area. The operator attempts to identify the location of any abnormal electrical pathways. Once identified, radiofrequency ablation, which is essentially heat, is applied to burn the abnormal electrical pathway. This leaves scar tissue that does not conduct electrical activity. Destroying the abnormal electrical pathway aims to remove the source of the arrhythmia. Radiofrequency ablation can permanently resolve certain arrhythmias that are caused by abnormal electrical pathways, for example, atrial fibrillation, atrial flutter, supraventricular tachycardias, and Wolf Parkinson White syndrome. So, thanks for listening to this very long episode on supraventricular tachycardia. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. If you like this podcast, consider becoming a member of the Zero to Finals Patreon account, where you get early access to the podcast episodes as well as the YouTube videos and access to the Zero to Finals digital flashcards and question bank. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll go through an overview of arrhythmias.